and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. Mary, we have Mm. a very fun episode today because we're going to be talking about one of our favorite genres, pop punk. Pop alt. Pop rock. Pop alt, pop punk, pop rock punk who knows but either way we can all agree that the subject of today's episode were a very important part of that culture that we don't know what to call yes this ambiguous culture that encompasses a lot of different bands that we stand that we stand and before we get into it let's stand our disclaimer (laughs) that we don't own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this episode and the purpose of these clips is for commentary and critique so mary i want to kick things off by asking you a question where were you when you first heard i'm a dick i'm a dick did to you i'm a dick I can tell you that I was in the family minivan. My sister had just put in her new CD, and it had these cute little icons on it, a broken heart, a sad face, and a rain cloud. Basically, Mm. emo hieroglyphics. Mm. My mother gasped when she heard the lewd lyrics only for my sister to say, he's saying addicted. It's part of the word addicted. It's not saying anything bad. That's literally how you say the word addicted. <laughs> and so was my introduction to Simple Plan. Mary, do you remember how you became acquainted with them and their unique enunciation of their lyrics? Wait, I need to ask. A broken heart, a sad face, and a rain cloud. Was that like a burned CD or was that on their CD? It was on their CD. It was the actual oh. art on the CD. Pre-emo emojis. Emo setters. Putting oh. the emo in emojis. I love. Okay, that's a great story and memory. I don't have such a poignant memory like you do. I feel like those are saved for like first hearing Britney or the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> like I have those memories. Simple plan. I don't, but I was obsessed with them. I loved every single thing they did. I don't think I can think of a song that I've heard by them or a single that they put out. that was like, meh, this is mid or like this sucks. And I honestly think this is because at least for me, a pop girly through and through simple plan straddles this line exquisitely of being like alt pop rock pop punk pop, whatever we want to call them. And they're giving us all the guitars, all the drums, all the angst. But like these emo lyrics were like super relatable for all us millennials who thought we were really going through <laughs> it at the time. But then also they had these like catchy kind of melodies and choruses. So like, I don't know, Simple Plan is criminally underrated. And I think they just found a really special place with their music that straddled so many different like genre lines. I agree. With you. I do think they were underrated because they were sort of like the underdog. They weren't as big or as popular as Good Charlotte, I feel like. Right. And obviously nowhere near Blink-182. I even just read an article that called them the clingy younger cousin of Blink-182, which that's like kind of how I view them too. But in rediscovering their discography, like there's some freaking bangers in here. So let's talk about Simple Plan. I want to begin at the beginning. <laughs> and, our, and, our, and our story begins in Canada in 1993. Oh, Canada. When our lead vocalist, Pierre Bouvier, you all know Pierre. He's the one with like the really spiky the main hair. Guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like the only one that I could pick out in a lineup. I feel like if I saw him, I would recognize him like at an airport. He's one of those that has only gotten better with age, I'll say. But I wasn't really hot for him when I was younger. I only no, had eyes no. for Joel Madden back then. <laughs> right. I only had eyes for Nick Carter. That would be infidelity. Infidelity. <laughs> okay, sorry. Back to Simple Plan. It's 1993. Mary and I are two years old. <laughs> and Pierre Bouvier meets drummer Chuck Camo. All these names are very French. French. Thank God you're saying them. They're freaking French. So apologies for the poor clunky enunciation. So they started a band called Reset when they were just 13 and 14 years old. Oh my God. Throwback. Love that for them. So it's 1998 and Chuck leaves the band to go to college. Wow. (laughs) Well, a year later, he met up with some of his friends, a guy named Jeff a guy named Sebastian and they were all in their own band and they were like, let's join forces and start our own group. And that's how simple plan was born. 
So where's old Pierre, right? Our main fella. Well, in late 1999, Pierre and Chuck get reacquainted at a Sugar Ray concert. Lol. (laughs) I love Sugar Ray. I don't care what anybody says. So Pierre is like, okay, I need to join your guys' band. So he leaves Reset to join Simple Plan. Again, Reset, the band that he started with Chuck, he's leaving to go join this other band with Chuck. Are you following? (laughs) I follow. So we're going from reset to simple plan. So the guys start creating these pop pop songs. They're sending out letters to record labels to get signed. Chuck apparently calls like dozens of record labels in the States pretending to be simple plans manager. How Anna Delvey of him. (laughs) He uses his mother's surname to try to like conceal his identity and apparently his desperation. He's lying about how big sample plan already are that they're selling out venues and stuff. And no one is biting on these phone calls, but he finally gets through to this guy named Andy Carp. And Andy was one of the managers at Atlantic Records. So Andy listens to their demos. He liked them, but he wasn't totally convinced that they were like the next big thing. And he gave them some helpful advice. He was like, you guys need a fifth member. There's too much going on. Pierre needs to be able to focus on being the lead singer and not being lead singer and playing bass. So get yourself a bass player. So this is a tangled web we weave. So Simple Plan is looking for a fifth member to play bass. Well, where do they go? They look back to Reset. Again, the original band that was started (laughs) with Pierre and Chuck that they left to start Simple Plan. They keep dipping into the Reset well. (laughs) Well, this guy named David DeRozier is in Reset. He's the one who actually replaced Pierre to begin with. And they're like, we need to poach you and come to Simple Plan. Sorry, Reset. RIP Reset. So David leaves Reset just six months later to join Simple Plan. And sorry that they stole basically your whole band. So it's worth noting here that David is no longer in Simple Plan. He left in July 2020 due to sexual misconduct accusations. So he's no longer a part of this, but obviously he was there from the very beginning. So anyways, it's the year 2000. They have their fifth member, They have a bassist. Pierre is focusing just on lead vocals and they want to go after Andy again and be like, look at this beautiful butterfly we are now from the caterpillar you first heard. Well, they heard that Andy was going to be in Montreal. That's how the French people say Montreal Mm -hmm. to go see a band play that he intended to sign after. They were called like Rubberman or I keep calling them Rubbermaid, like the top commercial, <laughs> but it's, it's rubber something. And Simple Plan were like, no, like we need Andy. We need Andy. So they came up with this plan to intercept him and offer Andy the opportunity to go see them too. So apparently they set up a show in just a few days wow. and they had some guy who was friends with Andy who like worked with him or something. And they're like, tell Andy to come to our show after he sees Rubbermaid. <laughs> <The Tupperware. laughs> and Andy is persuaded to go check them out after he was left really unimpressed with the rubber band he was originally going to see. So Andy finally makes it to Simple Plan show that they literally strung together just for uh-huh. Andy to see them. And he was like, holy shit, they're so good. They were signed to Atlantic the very next day. So Andy recalled this whole experience. I want to share a quote. He says, we went to see the first band. They were good, but nothing to write home about. So we went to see Simple Plan and they were incredible. Adding David on bass and having a third voice gave the band a totally professional look. I remember just standing there asking, is it me or are they really good? And I had to find a way to sign them. I mean, how amazing. So happy that their persistence paid off and that they listened to this guy's advice and they ended up signing them at the end. Nevertheless, they persisted. So let's talk about the band name. It's catchy. It's cool. It's inspired by the 1998 film A Simple Plan minus the uh. Did you see this movie, Mary? I never heard of it. It should be shocking to no one that I've literally (laughs) never seen it as I've never seen any movie. But. Ah, more. <laughs> okay, let's go through the plot of a simple plan. Just kidding. Well, apparently it solves Bill Paxton, Billy Bob Thornton, Bridget Fonda. It takes place in rural Minnesota, and the story follows two brothers and their friend who discover a crashed plane containing $4.4 million in cash. They go to great lengths to keep the money a secret, but they begin to doubt each other's trust, resulting in lies, deceit, and murder. 
So not really a simple plan. Not really a simple plan. Well, neither was Simple Plan's plan to get start their <laughs> band by stealing everyone from their old band, whatever. Anyways, let's talk about their debut studio album, which came out in the year 2002. It was called No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls. What a name, right? We'll learn that these guys love a double entendre mm-hmm. and also potty humor (laughs) so i dug real deep to try to find any rationale as to why they would name their album this and i found a kids world magazine interview from 2002 where chuck said the name for the cd you know what we don't remember we were just messing around and we needed a name and then sebastian was like well we just like balls basketballs you know we just like to play with them any kind of balls and then chuck chimes in footballs meatballs we might as well be honest and just say it so it sounds like they're just a group of guys just having fun and being all irreverent and quirky. We also have to talk about the album cover. Okay, I tried to find some details or backstory around it, but I just couldn't find anything. And I wonder if it's the same. Wow, we just thought it was funny. So we see a bride and her bridesmaids partying with the band in like a Vegas looking suite. There's some like leopard print carpet which to me just means like you have to be in Vegas right Right. but like are they in the wedding did they steal the bride from the altar was this like a little white chapel Mm. situation I'm left with more questions than answers on this one they all looked like shocked like someone just walked in and like caught them like everybody's mouths are wide open and it honestly like reminds me more of like a blink 182 cover almost in the sense that it's just like a little bit racier a little bit more like pg-13 plus than the tenor of their music i guess you're so right because the album art makes me think that they're gonna say like really bad words throughout it and like they don't aside from i'm a dick (laughs) right exactly Well, let's talk about the album and the songs. It's filled with so many hits. I surprised myself by like still knowing all the words to every song when I revisited it for this episode. But let's talk about how the album all came together because I think it really paints a picture of why these guys were so Les Mis and angsty. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently this album took a year to make and it was reportedly a grueling process. Their producer was a real hard ass, it sounds like, and Tensions were running high. And Jeff, the lead guitarist, told AP Magazine, like Alternative Press, on the 15th anniversary of this album that while making it, the guys were sleeping in bunk beds in a windowless room in Toronto. And mm. they had to cook all their own meals and nobody knew how to cook. So everyone was like hungry and mad all the time. <laughs> I mean, that alone would make me write an angsty teen anthem for sure. I'm angry and hungry on their behalf. Right? Like, oh, God. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about the album. It's pop punk, of course, with the rising popularity of this style. A lot of people drew immediate comparisons to Blink-182, Good Charlotte, Newfound Glory. That's one we haven't mentioned yet. And this album's predominant theme revolves around being an outcast. And the material... A lot of it was written in Chuck's basement. (laughs) Pierre had said that they wanted every track to have lots of power, energy, catchiness. And Pierre has that sort of whiny voice. And that's using his own words. He describes it himself as whiny. And that was really by design to lean into that teenage yearning (laughs) despair. (laughs) And he has said in interviews since that it's really hard for him to listen to this album because of that, even though I think that's what makes it so relatable. It's perfect. Clearly, no one gave a shit if it sounded whiny to them because this album did really well. It was certified double platinum in Canada and the U.S. It peaked at number 35 on the Billboard 200 and number two on the U.S. catalog albums chart. So let's talk about some of the songs. I want to start with the first song on the album because to me, this is like the perfect pop pop song. And that's I Do Anything. I Do Anything. This is one of the first songs that Simple Plan ever wrote as Simple Plan. And man, imagine writing a song this good. It's your first song. This track includes Mark from Blink-182 doing some of the backup vocals. So the group had become friends with Blink-182 when Reset, going back to Reset, Mm. OG (laughs) band, LOL, where most of them met and were poached from, Mm. opened one of Blink-182's shows in 1997. And they stayed in touch. Pierre and Chuck have been longtime fans of 
Blink-182. Pierre would even reportedly, like, travel to where Blink was playing. He'd <sighs> wait by their tour bus to try to get Mark's attention and, like, share their demo tape. Like, eventually, Mark was like, okay, fine, dude. Like, I'll listen to your demo. And they began communicating by email. And Mark loved this demo. He thought that anything was a really strong song. And the band was like, will you please sing on it <laughs> they wrote the na 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 refrain just for mark i mean what's more blink 182 than a na 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 <laughs> so my favorite part of this story is that obviously the record company wanted to compensate mark for his time and for being on the song but he declined the payment and he you know sort of offered it as a gesture of goodwill to help the band really get started and i just mm -hmm. love that story of him sort of paying it forward to the next generation of bands to me, this song is just one of the greatest pop punk songs. It stands alongside Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. First Date by Blink-182. I know that's like a statement, but I just feel like that's my trifecta of pop punk. And then Avril Lavigne would be my next one. My diamond, I guess. Huh, I love it. But you know, what is not to love about this song? Like, isn't that all we wanted? A man who would do anything for us? <laughs> like, okay, where do I sign up? You, you know, imagine listening to this in what year? What year was this one? 2002. Oh my God, we were 11 years old. Like, this is all we wanted. And it was super upbeat, catchy, like a pop song kind of, but still has that alt rock vibe through and through. I would definitely say that Simple Plan is more on the pop spectrum of pop punk. I feel like they lean a little more pop than a little more punk, if you know what I mean. Like some 41 is more punk than pop. Yes, I agree. Let's move on to track number two, which is the worst day ever. Okay, so this song <laughs> was inspired by all the horrible jobs that the guys have had. I guess David mm. had a job at McDonald's. Sebastian was a janitor at his high school. And I just love that this song is about watching the clock and wanting to GTFO. That is how mm. I felt about school at the time. Mm. <laughs> Middle school. <laughs> Right. And there's one line that like really hits me in the feels. It says, it's history repeating on and on. Summer plans are gone forever. I'd trade them in for dishpan water. It's history Do you remember the trauma of realizing you'll never get summer vacation <sighs> again? <sighs> I do, and I still feel the hurt. Anyways, that kind of goes into our next song, which is I'm Just a Kid. So this was actually Simple Plan's first single, and man, this song set them off on an incredible trajectory it was certified platinum in the u.s they got eliza dushku in the music video like they are the kings of y2k with this song <laughs> so you probably know this song from cheaper by the dozen the nice guy and the recent tiktok trend i say recent but it was literally like four years ago at this point where people would recreate their childhood photos so Pierre said that he and Chuck wrote I'm Just a Kid about how they felt when they were in high school, feeling like, you know, every day is the end of the world <laughs> as an outcast. But I just love that this song had this renaissance and was being exposed to this new younger generation. My God, the song perfectly like encompasses the angst I felt as a youth, like wanting to grow up so fast, but just totally being sidelined by my age. Just uh, the drama of it all. I loved it. My life is a nightmare. Nobody cares. I'm alone in this world. Like, are you kidding me? I was like, not alone. I had a great life. Everything was fine. I was fine. But like, oh my God, this song just got me. These songs were just like, hit us right at the perfect time. No, in the line, and everyone's having more fun than me oh, tonight. Like, period. <laughs> period. Nobody cares
every night. Like, are you kidding me, mom and dad? <laughs> I think my mom would be so mad if she saw all my away messages. From oh. the She'd be like, why is that not good enough for you? <laughs> yeah. Like looking back now, it's like mortifying and I like get it. But it's man, at that time, it really hit. It really hit. They just got us. It's funny because they were like in their early 20s, I guess, at this point singing. I'm just a kid. (laughs) Smart. So it's like kind of funny. But (laughs) all right, moving on. Track four. Here it is. Addicted. So this was their first top 50 hit in the U.S. It peaked at number 45 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was number 11 on the top 40. And when asked about that catchy, I'm a dick, I'm addicted to you. I'm a dick, I'm addicted to you. Pierre said, we just thought it was a funny line. It's really so subtle. It just sounds like I have a speech impediment. That's all. This is what he told MTV in a 2003 interview. And I just have to say, uh, subtle, Pierre, my man. Like, you had middle schoolers screaming, I'm a dick, still a dick, on school campuses across North America. There was nothing subtle or speech <laughs> impediment about it. So it, it wasn't just my friend group that was doing that. No, it was literally, especially my (laughs) sister was leading you all, all of the freaks going around screaming, I'm a dick at the mall. And we loved it because it was naughty, but it was subtle enough that we could get away with it. Right. Because your parents can't get mad at you for saying the word addicted. Yeah. It was a strategic breath. So addicted was so well received at radio that the band delayed the release of their fourth single, which was perfect. Last forever. Sorry, I can't be perfect. This is one of those melancholy songs on the album. Mm. Um, <laughs> one magazine described it as one of the more poignant songs on the record. It forsakes impish humor for earnest emotion expressed through melancholy melody, harmonized vocals, and spare aching instrumentation the rage we go from being a dick to this (laughs) pierre told mtv news at the time that the words were specifically drawn from flack that the band members received from choosing a career over music and the song really reads like an open letter to their dad Mm. being like sorry i'm disappointing you dad (laughs) well did i have an incredibly caring and supportive father who made me feel deeply loved and safe every day growing up Yes. Did I put these song lyrics in my AIM away message anyways? Absolutely. And it makes me lull because I wanted to be a marine biologist. (laughs) And this song is about like not being accepted by your parents because you want to be a starving artist. (laughs) I mean, I'm saying it again and I'll probably say it again later. This just like totally encompassed the millennial angsty angry at the world vibes and like oh my god solid final pre-chorus bridge like we hear the emotions and pierre nothing's gonna change the thing yeah nothing's gonna make this right again key change right oh my god love it Like, how many freaking TV shows has this song been in? Just flashback to our Laguna Beach episode. Like, I'm literally picturing, like, maybe a Jessica and Jason moment. Or was that Lauren and Steven? Regardless, like, this was for sure for a period of time the soundtrack to our reality TV. Every time there was a heartbreak, because we lost it. Yes. So this incredible album came out in 2002. And it was craziness from there on out. They've been busy nonstop. And so once you release an album, you have songs coming out. Obviously, what's the next step? You hit the road, Jack. Hit the road, Jack. You tour. And Simple Plan in 2003 were asked to play as a headliner on the Vans Warped Tour. And that same year in 2003, they opened for Avril Lavigne on her Try to Shut Me Up Tour. This is not the first time they'll be connected to Avril. Stay tuned. And they also opened for Green Day and Good Charlotte. Like, that's some pretty big names of the time to be associated with, like, right after your first album. Oh, hell yeah. Also in 2003, their cover of the Turtles' Happy Together appeared in the iconic Freaky Friday. I 
said it before, I'll say it again, that soundtrack slaps. And just like, again, such a big deal to be associated with. I mean, at the time, that was a huge movie. So they're moving and shaking. So as they got bigger and more popular, the group was getting some backlash from Warp Tour fans. They were calling Simple Plan like sellouts. And in a lot of the interviews, they discussed getting like bottles thrown at their heads. I mm-hmm. guess that's a thing that people like do at Warp Tour. And because of this perception and also because they're more on like the pop side of the punk spectrum, I feel like Simple Plan uh-huh. got so much hate from like the community that like wanted them to succeed in the first place. It's such a weird conundrum when your fans turn on you for becoming too popular. I know that's like they weren't punk enough or something, you know, that's annoying. Hate that for them. So, okay. They're touring like crazy. And obviously, so you put out an album, you tour. What's next after that? Well, the label pressures the hell out of you to get your next album out. That's kind of this cycle. And they were so busy touring that they had about three months to write 10 new songs for their new album. And it was just like a pressure cooker, you know, like it wasn't ideal conditions to write new music. Um, But they did um, start writing and recording. And by the end of 2003, they had about 10 to 15 rough ideas for new music. And that's when they began recording their next album, Still Not Getting Any which eventually was released in October of 2004. All the songs on the album are credited to Simple Plan as the writers, and the album was produced by Bob Rock. Now, Still Not Getting Any was a musical departure from the group's previous album. The band retained its style of downbeat lyrics matched to upbeat music, so like the pop with the angsty messages, but they managed to transcend from this standard pop-punk genre. And although many of the tracks on this album still carried the feeling of teen angst from No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls, the general slant of this album tends towards slightly deeper and more mature lyrical themes. We get a totally different vibe of artwork for this album. We had the iconic cover for No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls. And for this album, we just see Simple Plan sitting on the back of a bus. Some alternative covers have the members of the band like aged in their 40s <laughs> or like in a retirement home like as you go through the album booklet oh my god i miss album booklets but like they get older and older which you know obviously was done through prosthetics and makeup now you could do it with ai they should do like a compare of like how they look now yeah, if it matches the booklet yeah yes so while maybe a little less controversial and maybe sexual, but still somewhat sexual, the title, Still Not Getting Any, kind of has similar implications, I would say. And according to a bonus DVD from this album, apparently the title, Still Not Getting Any, came from the boys' belief that they were still not getting any good reviews. And Pierre noted that the band only had one recent good review in the alternative press. I kind of interpreted it as a kid, like he's not getting lucky, you know, so I took it kind of like sexually, like he's still striking out. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm glad that's just not me. But apparently it was more about they're not getting no respect, no respect at all. No respect, no respect at all. They're literally trolling us. (laughs) They know we know they're just being coy about it i'm sure it has more than one meaning and interpretation which makes it a good title hilarious so let's touch on a few favorite tracks which happen to be their singles off this album the first being shut up shut up shut up So this was the second single off the album. It hit number 99 on the Billboard Hot 100, but was way more successful internationally because they just get it over there. It charted at number three in Sweden. It was the top 20 in Australia and New Zealand. Simple Plan performed this at the 2005 Kids' Choice Awards, which I can only imagine. That's like the perfect song for the Kids' Choice Awards, let me tell you. Imagine the moshing. Oh my God. If I could go anywhere at any time in history, I would want to go back to the 2005 Kids' Choice Awards and be in the crowd during that performance. I wonder if like Devin was there. Oh my God, we should ask her. I know. Devin Daniels, listen to her episode. She is the queen of crashing award shows, but 
I liked this song. It's upbeat, high energy, catchy. This song makes me want to mosh at a laser tag. I can't <laughs> explain it any other way. You've described another song like this, Kels. It's like in a Nickelodeon movie and like the kids are being chased by the fat cop and like <laughs> you can't catch them. And they're like, it's that like, pink song. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, which one is that? Which pink song? Trouble. Trouble. I could interchange these two for like a similar montage in a movie, if you will. That's so funny. <laughs> the next track, which is actually the lead single off the album. Welcome to my life. This one peaked at number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100, number seven in Australia, number five in New Zealand. It was certified gold in the United States, platinum in Australia. So it was definitely more commercially successful than Shut Up. This is one of them where it's really funny to go back and listen to the lyrics. Like, again, they nail just the vibes like, oh, my terrible life. My parents won't let me do anything. I love the final bridge. It's like, no one stabbed you in the back. It's so good. Do you lock yourself in your room? <laughs> yes. What is it? With the radio turned up so loud that no one hears you screaming. Correct. Do you ever Like, have we not been there or have we not been there? No, like, this is a song that I would play on, like, my iPod Red, like, the one that would support, like, eradicating AIDS, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Red, yes. like, wow, wearing my black Converse and, like, kicking the ground. Kicking really. the ground. We really thought we had it bad back then. <laughs> I just feel like this song, it just perfectly encapsulates the ennui of being a tween. To Are be you kicked when you're down! Oh, my God, like a... That's a diary entry from the early 2000s, for sure. Being kicked when you're down when you're, like, 14 years old, though, is, like, putting, like, sell it in your away message and no one texts you. Yeah, like, <laughs> literally inviting your crush to text you and him not doing that is a real kick while you're down. The next one is another, as you would expect, angsty specialty, and that is Perfect World. This one, again, is so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. I almost laugh a little at it now. It's a good song. I laugh because of how I felt about it when I was young and just like <laughs> thought like, man, these guys get me. It's a fun one to go back to. Oh, 100%. Like this song was me just like grasping at reasons to be like upset or like to try to relate to it on a deeper level. This one's like a relationship one. So it's like you'd still be here. And so like, you know, I obviously didn't have a boyfriend when I was eight or 11 or whatever <laughs> old I was at the time. Like you said, grasping for reasons to like relate to it, you know? Yeah. Let's be real. I probably like made this up about a Backstreet Boy in my head, like <laughs> after they're done with their tour. Brian. You'd still be here. <laughs> oh my God. Just a great one. The next one I want to touch on is Crazy. Is Now, this song was the first. That's we are. <laughs> Kelsey and my theme song was also the fourth and final single off the album. It didn't chart in the United States, but it was a pretty solid radio hit in Canada. It entered the top 40 in Australia, the Czech Republic, France, and Sweden. I didn't have as much of a relationship with this song, but when I listened to it for this episode, it like came right back. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I heard this song. I know this song, you know? I feel that way about a lot of the songs on there. But I remember this song being very poignant because it addressed some of like the unhinged criticism and body shaming of the early 2000s that 
you know, we reference so often. So I just want to say thank you, Simple Plan, for bringing attention to the insane beauty standards at the time and all the pressure on young women. I'm sure they recognize that a lot of their audience were young girls. So I love that they took that opportunity to be like, you don't need to do this to fit in. Well, here's what's incredible is they've used their platform a lot for causes and positive messages. And so I am not surprised. And we're going to get another example of this in the third single from the album, but the last track on the album, which is Untitled. How could this happen to me? I made my mistakes. Got nowhere to run. The night goes on as I'm fading away. Okay, so this song, music video, message, everything is just so memorable. Also, how emo is it to have a song called Untitled? Oh, yes. (laughs) Like in itself, that's so emo. They've actually decided to call it Untitled because they literally could not think of anything else. And honestly, I relate to that. (laughs) Like, it's better than being like IDK or MISC or TBD. Like, Untitled is very, it just... It works for this song. I get it. I like it. And I feel like this sonically and lyrically is the best song off this album. I That might be controversial, but it came out in March of 2005. It peaked at 49 in the United States, was certified gold in Australia and Sweden. The music video very famously tells a story about a drunk driving accident. Pierre acts as a ghost walking around the remains of this two-car collision. A girl is shown trapped against a steering wheel. The other members of the band show up as police and EMTs as they attempt to free the girl. Simple Plan has spoken out about the motivation and intention behind this song and video. I have a quote, I believe it's from Pierre, where it says... This song is a very personal look at what happens when tragedy hits close to home. And we wanted to make a video that was as powerful and as special as the song was to the five of us. Over the last few years, a lot of people we know have been involved in tragic accidents caused by drinking and driving. One of the students at our high school crashed his car driving back from a weekend trip and killed his best friend. It was a very sad time that none of us will ever forget. This is the story we wanted to tell with this video, the story of all the innocent victims caused by drinking and driving. I just think it's so cool of them to use their platform for like a cause like this, especially knowing that their audience are people like us that were getting probably pressured to underage drink. There were people who drunk and drove and just this like poignant reminder of like what a potential very realistic consequence of that could be. Like I remember that sticking with me. Oh, totally. I really appreciate that when these artists who have those young audiences engage in those meaningful messages like this in a relatable way to them that feels not like preachy, like the person who comes to your school and tells you like you're going to end up in jail, you know? It also really reminded me of Hold On by Good Charlotte. That had a very strong and overt suicide prevention message. That music video is really tough to watch. It features people who lost family members and loved ones to suicide. And it was inspired by fans who like wrote to Good Charlotte, like these like ideations that they were having. And Pierre even said this in a Daily Beast interview that pop punk put a spotlight on mental health before it was really popular. And I totally agree with that sentiment. I totally feel like they put all this stuff out there and made it more commonplace to speak about those internal struggles than it is widely accepted now. Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't like cool back then. Not that it's like cool now, but it's like very normal and accepted. But like, I think that's a risk that they all took doing something like that. And looking back, I'm like, that was really cool. I also feel like the chord progression in this song is super memorable. It makes your ears happy. Yeah, there's. I think it's a very special song. But Simple Plan had a crazy year promoting Still Not Getting Any. And following the album's release, The group went on a club tour, which was followed by headlining radio festivals throughout December of 2004. Also in 2004, they had another song featured in another Y2K classic movie. And we also actually get a cameo from them, which is so cool. We all know the scene from New York Minute when Mary-Kate and Ashley, basically the whole premise is that Roxy needs to go to New York City to the Simple Plan concert to promote (laughs) her band to their A&R guys. And so we get to see her there. She gets on stage with Simple Plan. They perform 
the iconic song Vacation, which was actually a bonus track on their first album. It's just so cool that they got to be part of that. Now that we know Simple Plan's origin story, that's like kind of meta, right? It's huge. Like, that's what they tried to do for the Rubbermaid Bay oh, or whatever. Yes. Like, is New York Minute about Simple Plan? Oh my God. Do we need to visit this? I think we need to do some sleuthing. But <laughs> in the meantime, I'll share that I love the song Vacation. It's like such a middle school diss, but it's like so catchy. Like, uh, can't you just go somewhere on vacation? Like, buzz off. Yeah. I love it so much i'll book your flight and pack your bags if you if want you want oh what so do i take it out of my life i never I liked, liked you, you. <laughs> oh my god, god. So good so good still so good but simple plan are also philanthropic kings during this time in 2005, they created the Simple Plan Foundation, which focuses on an array of teen issues ranging from suicide to poverty to drug addiction. And I did some sleuthing and it's still active and running today, which is incredible. Almost 20 years. Wow. They created that in 2005. From January to April in 2005, the band really went on their like first big worldwide tour. They were across the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Australia, and Japan. In May and June, they went on a co-headlining U.S. tour with Good Charlotte, dubbed the Noise to the World Tour. And I just need to mention, previously, they were opening for Good Charlotte, and now they're <laughs> co-headlining, which is the growth. We're so proud. I love that trajectory, but also, can we talk about Noise to the World? Like, Noise to the World! <laughs> Like that? Oh my God. I didn't even like put that. That's so funny. Maybe they played like Christmas songs at the beginning. Like, Jezebel Bell. I hate you, Dad, all the way. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's been, please let us know how the Noise the World Tour incorporated Christmas, if it did at all. We'd like to know. So, as I said, they were crazy busy during this time. They opened for Green Day, which is probably huge. They performed Untitled at the 2005 Teen Choice Awards. They appeared at three dates on the Warped Tour. And during a hometown show in September, Pierre was actually injured by the crowd throwing bottles like you were talking about earlier, Kelsey. And as a result, they were forced to cancel an appearance at a benefit concert for the victims of Hurricane Katrina. Like, how fucked up is that? Like, Pierre got hurt because people were freaking throwing bottles at a freaking hometown show, and then they couldn't go to the benefit concert? Jail. Jail. I don't understand why people throw shit at celebrities. Um, it's definitely been having a resurgence as well. I feel like that's been happening on a lot of people throwing their phones and stuff. Yeah, like weird shit. If but, you are at a concert with me, do not throw anything because I will throw you, okay? Period. Okay. So they couldn't do the Katrina benefit concert, but they did not slow down. Pierre recovered in October and November in 2005. They finally gave the U.S. a tour and they had openers, get this, Plain White Tees and Paramore. Like, iconic. Just love this trajectory, but nothing's ever simple. And prior to the start of this tour, Simple Plan was in Mexico when Hurricane Wilma hit, and it resulted in them having to be evacuated, and they had to leave all their equipment behind. Subsequently for this tour, they had to rent the gear for them to play the show. So it was kind of like a skeleton show, which is crazy. But they closed the wonderful year of 2005 with their first ever cross-country Canadian tour, and finally wrapped that in February of 2006. Like, did they get a second to breathe this year? It certainly does not seem like it. Sounds like a complicated plan to me. <laughs> not a simple one, indeed. And tale as old as time. They're touring. They're crushing it. And Simple Plan's label at the time, Atlantic Records, was definitely Team No Sleep and was really pushing the group to start writing and recording their next album. Again, the group were stalling because they weren't particularly thrilled with what music and producers that Atlantic had lined up for them, and they just were not feeling the vibes. It was crunch time. And so they basically started writing and entered the studio with Bob Rock in 
January of 2007, who had produced their previous album. However, their plans to record, much to the disappointment of Atlantic Records, was delayed again as Bob Rock, the producer, was busy working with the offspring. So Atlantic was having a freaking meltdown over all these delays. However, finally in early March of 2007, the band finally finished two songs before traveling down to Miami, where they recorded another song at the Hit Factory with Danger. And Danger is a freaking legend. He was known as Timbaland's protege at the time. He had worked with Justin Timberlake. He had worked on the Bible of Pop by Britney Spears, <laughs> Blackout. And Simple Plan was really excited to work with him because of just like the change in pace due to his resume and his sound, which is super cool. I love that they collaborated with him. So producer Bob Rock falls through. So the label gives the band like a list of producers and albums that they worked on for them to listen to and pick from. How nice. So they picked Dave Frontman for his work with Evanescence. You know we love Evanescence. (laughs) If you've listened to any of our recent episodes, we talk about them a lot. And he really wanted to give the band like a big drum sound. So all of the final recordings were produced by Dave and he worked with some very iconic producers to co-produce, including Danger on three songs and Max Martin. Would you ever expect a Simple Plan album to have a Max Martin or a Danger credit? Like, I was floored when I read this. So after much struggle and turmoil, the third album, and it's actually self-titled Simple Plan, was finally released in February of February 2008. It reached number two on the Canadian album charts, number 14 on the U.S. Billboard 200, and charted in the top 10 worldwide in like Australia, Austria, Brazil, Sweden, Switzerland, like you name it. So yeah, off to a good start with this one. Speaking of album covers, this one was very (laughs) jarring because Pierre's signature like flip and hair gel moment and like, you know, the little like faux hawk, it was all flat and long, like a Beatles singer. He looked like Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney wishes. Like emo Paul McCartney was happening on that. I don't know. I like looked at it. I was like, oh, Pierre. It's definitely a different look for sure. But let's talk about the first single off the album, When I'm Gone. Now, with this one, Simple Plan achieved its highest charting single in the UK, coming in at number 26. It received a decent amount of airplay in 2007. This song received generally positive reviews from critics. Rolling Stone called it a seize-the-day anthem with a cathartic refrain. The music video featured a cameo from the Perez Hilton. Did you know that, Kels? I didn't, but it makes sense. He's at the peak of his career. What are your thoughts on this one? all right you know it's just not super memorable to me but i do recognize it if yes that makes sense. same the next one i really liked the second single off the album and that is your love is a lie Now, this reached number 16 on the Canadian Hot 100 and number 8 on the U.S. Billboard Bubbling Under Hot 100 singles. We definitely hear the recall of Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. And Oasis's Wonderwall in this song, very similar chord progressions. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. I hear so much Wonderwall in this. Oh, I mean, definitely. And this song is a painful and a personal one. It was actually written about Pierre's unfaithful ex-girlfriend. Oh, this is his Crimea River moment. It's definitely like a graphic song. Like, it's like, how does it feel to know that I trusted you? Do you think about me when he fucks you? Like, I remember when I was like, I mean, I guess this came out in 2008. I was, you know, 16, 17, but it was still like, shit, his tone of voice. You can tell he's like pissed. How does it feel when you kiss when you know that I trust you? And do you think about me when he fucks you? 
I don't know. You just hear the emotion coming through. It just hits harder for me knowing that it's like, it's genuine. It's authentic, you know? Okay, well, that part reminded me of Alanis Morissette. Oh, are you thinking of me when you fuck her? Oh, my God. Maybe they were channeling Alanis for this. You never and know. Oasis. An Alanis Oasis mishmash. The song had a music video, and we always have to shout out these music videos. It was directed by the iconic Wayne Isham. We have mentioned him maybe on every single episode we've done <laughs> at this point. Like, he has worked with the greats. But it's kind of weird. Like, I just had different expectations for this music video. But, like, I probably shouldn't have given the tenor and the story behind it. But it's, like, literally just, like, Pierre catching his girlfriend cheating and watching her have sex with someone else. Like, maybe it was therapeutic, but with Isham, you got to shoot for the stars. And I don't know if they did there. So maybe not his best use of talent, you know? Right. So that was probably my favorite one off the album. But the third and final single off this album was Save You. Now, this song peaked at 18 in Canada. It was the song that was actually written in tribute to Pierre's brother, Jay, who had been diagnosed with cancer. Now, this music video is super powerful because it shows Simple Plan performing in an open space. And then cancer survivors are shown lying on the floor. Gradually, they rise. And at the end of the video, their names appear. And the video features like some of the band members' relatives who survived cancer and other cancer survivors. Like there were some Montreal Canadian hockey players, Sharon Osbourne, Delta Goodrim, who opened for the Backstreet Boys. I didn't know she had cancer. Like when I read that, I was like, what? But the song was like super sad. But I still love and appreciate seeing Simple Plan like create songs with like meaning. It's not just like fluff. They have a message. They have substance. And they even did a special release of this song in which all the proceeds went to their foundation. Wow. That is really special. I didn't realize that Delta Goodrum had also been around for that long. I know. I feel like she's really famous in like Australia. Or was it Was it Australia? I think Australia, yeah, but she looks so young. Like, I thought that she was, like, a noob. (laughs) I know. But, yeah, this was one of the few songs that I remembered from this album and, like, recognized it. Because I'm not as familiar with this album as the first two. And I didn't realize that it had such a profound message behind it. I totally forgot about this music video. Also, side note, according to Spotify, Max is credited as one of the producers. But we cannot verify that. So we don't really know what the deal is. The one song that we know for sure that Max was on is the last one I wanted to touch on on this album. And it's a danger. And Max Martin collab, like arguably two of my favorite producers ever, period. And until today or yesterday, I didn't even know that this collaboration existed. I guess I am a fake fan. And this is for the song Generation. Generation was written prior to Simple Plan showing it to Max. So they brought the song to Max and he changed one of the hooks to a synthesizer. (laughs) That was like his main contribution. (laughs) And like, of course, he had to add his signature sound, a synthesizer. Like I was dying when I read that. And it also... He's like, you know what this needs? (laughs) Synth. (laughs) Hey, when in doubt, synth it out. We should get merch <laughs> i'm like cool oh yes synth it out i love it but it also features this a trumpet drum sample Listen. that was previously used in the song hurt by ti which had been produced by deja I just love how it combines kind of the signature of these two production icons. And this is literally for a song that got no traction. Wasn't even a single. Like, no one even knew it existed. And here it is. The one Max one, allegedly. Okay, I'm going to say something controversial. And this may be the most negative thing I've ever said about any Max song. The beginning of this song makes me feel like I'm watching SportsCenter. I like 
like it. It's just when I hear it, I'm like, oh, football is on. <laughs> I, I get I get why you associate it with like a sports intro for sure. And I think I'm just so conditioned when I go to Simple Plan. I'm like, da na 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 na. Yeah, it was definitely like a different, it was different, but I actually like kind of like this. And I just feel like maybe I'm liking it because I feel like I have to, but I think I like it. So we'll see. TBD, stay tuned. Check back with me in a week. But Chuck had a quote about working with Max and I just wanted to read it because, you know, it's so hard to get stories about Max Martin. And so (laughs) any new one we can find, I like to highlight it. He said, we got to work with Max and we wanted to try something. We had a vision of, hey, it would be really cool if we could have a hybrid of what we do, which is like the high energy up-tempo choruses, but then mix it up in the verses and have this more pop sound. It was really cool to work with Max. It was interesting. Looking back, I wish it would have gone a little different because when we walked in and we played him a bunch of songs from the record he was like man i love the songs you guys have it was called something else but it was pretty much the same song that ended up being generation and he's like let's work on that and we're like cool max martin loves our songs we tweaked it and we rewrote parts and he produced and looking back it happened so fast maybe eight nine years later we're like what the fuck were we thinking we should have just written something from scratch but it just kind of happened and it was great and he was the nicest guy ever and he was just the most humble and amazing guy and he talks about how it'd be great to work with him again but it's just so funny because seemingly max wasn't super involved in the creation of the melody or the song itself they kind of were like here listen to our songs and and yeah and (laughs) in chuck's reflection he's like we should have just went in there like an empty slate and been like let's write together but they kind of just went in was like listen to what we have and tell us what you think and make it better but like it's just funny to hear chuck reflect on like um why didn't we go in and write with this man like are we dumb like (laughs) what a huge missed opportunity but i feel like it's like going into a meeting with your boss i feel like i would have felt the same pressure to come in with something for him to react to but i totally see why they feel a little cheated from the process and he's not inexpensive to work with atlantic probably shelled the f out for that but hey If it works, it works. But so we're going to kind of wrap up here with what Simple Plan's been up to as of late. Since the release of their self-titled album that we just discussed from 2008, Simple Plan has gone on to crank out three more albums. Get Your Heart On from 2011, Taken One for the Team 2016, and Harder Than It Looks, which legit just came out in 2022. I feel like I need to revisit some of these, and I feel like I'm probably missing some quality music that I would love and the script has seemingly never stopped touring in august of 2023 simple plan went off on the let the bad times roll summer tour with some 41 and the offspring have you heard their song ruin my life no it's simple plan and like the lead guy from some 41 it's actually really good It's a recent one. I think it's from Harder Than It Looks. Because everyone looks old in the music video. Oh, my God. Older. Not old, but like current day. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I'll have to check this bad boy out. But, I mean, clearly you're still putting out music, still putting out albums. They're still touring. And 2024 is no different. They're going to be at the When We Were Young Fest in Las Vegas. And their hardest rock tour, which will be in the UK and Europe. I read that when the, I guess when we were Young Fest, like started in 2022. Cause I read in some article, I think it was Daily Beast, that when we were young released their set list in 2022, Pierre was like, uh, what the actual fuck? Like, why are we not? in this lineup and he texted his manager and was like um and the manager was like you have your own tour with some 41 like duh <gasps> so i love that they're gonna make it this year you know making yeah. it for last time and so making music and performing i saw in that same article that chuck had mentioned that he was really weary of becoming a nostalgia band like it's kind of like a dirty word like no one wants to be only known for their one song 20 years ago but that he now really appreciates the distinction he says that he thinks they can have it all you can be proud of your past and excited about your future and i am so glad that they're embracing the nostalgic quality because it's an honor for people to get a warm and fuzzy feeling when they hear or see your art you know like not everyone is memorable i don't know i feel like it's 
a special thing when someone can listen to your music and remember a really happy time in their life. And like, it may not have seemed like a happy time at the time, but now we can like look back and laugh fondly as we're like toiling away at work and paying bills. Or not necessarily happy, but like, (sighs) can't I go somewhere on vacation? (laughs) But as I said in the beginning, all roads lead back to Avril as I know this upcoming summer and fall, they're touring with Avril on her greatest hits tour. And I know they have a couple shows by Kelsey and I think she should go. I might have to. Don't tempt me with a good time. I'll be in the middle of that mosh pit, not throwing bottles. Good. I'm not worried about you. <laughs> throwing <laughs> bottles. I'm I'm worried about myself. Getting, getting hit. <laughs> but you want to know who I'm not worried about? Our incredible listeners. Because <laughs> they are the best. And as promised, as we always say, if you rate us five stars and write us a nice review, we will read it. And thank you personally. And we have another one to read this week because you guys are amazing. And I honestly can't read this person's name because it's just letters. I don't think it's there. They are just like typing in gibberish and whatever. I get it. I just wish I could shout you out. But they said, I discovered this podcast when I recently rediscovered my love of the Backstreet Boys. And these two things... BSB and this podcast now give me so much joy. Listening to Kelsey and Mary feels like chatting with two old friends that I've known since middle school. They're both so funny, silly, and hilarious. <laughs> As millennials, we really were so lucky to grow up in the era of swoon-worthy boy bands, the glory days of Disney Channel, MTV, TGIF, and brooding teen dramas, defining pop culture moments, and some of the best music. What a time to be young. This podcast just feels comforting, warm, fuzzy, and so much fun. <sighs> what Did our moms write this? This is so nice. We don't know who it is, but whoever you are. Thank you. Thank you. It means so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We love you guys. We hope you have a warm and productive week ahead. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.